Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. I'm at a bit of a loss on what to say here. This is like the sixth pass I've taken at writing the intro to this episode. I've said it before. I'll say it again here. I hate reading these scripts. This part is not scripted. I am ad-libbing this, if you will. The rest of it is scripted. I really don't like reading the intros, but I write them down just so I make sure I say everything I want to say. I'm aware that a number of fans are unhappy about the results of the games against the Leafs, Blue Jackets, and Sabres. I myself am unhappy about the results of the games against the Leafs, Blue Jackets, and Sabres. But there's another game left on this road trip, Thursday night against the Bruins, and there will be plenty of time, presumably after this road trip, to talk about the results and discuss the entire trip as a whole. Today, we've got a blast from the past, as Matthew Garon joins me to talk about his career and the finer points of goaltending. Then Jared Schaffron has an update on the Ontario Reign for us. And I hope that this episode gives you the distraction it gave me from thinking about unpleasant things. Joining me now, Assistant Hockey Director for Community Hockey with the Tampa Bay Lightning, but more importantly, former LA King, Matthew Garon. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. I want to ask you some uh, sort of bigger questions, but first things first, um, you played one year in the KHL with uh, Omsk Avangarde, and this is just something that I've always been very curious about. Uh, what were some of the larger challenges of playing in the KHL? Because we've heard some horror stories, but we've also heard some people with relatively pleasant experiences. Yeah, my my experience was not the best. Um that year, I went uh, at a trial with the Kings. Uh, later on in my career, I was the at the end of my career. It was like a a last try, and then uh, Dean Lombardi was nice enough to give me a tryout. So I stayed there for a long time, I, even though I had already had an offer previously to go in the KHL. I still wanted to play in the NHL. Uh, so I went to Kings camp, got cut, and then a different team, uh, uh, which is Omsk, uh, offered me that contract. And I'm like, why not? Like, I'm uh, I'm basically done playing hockey, so I'll, I'll give it a last shot. Uh, it was a it was a fun opportunity for me. I thought at that time, but uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, my I, I played. I got there. It was late. It was probably November, uh, October, I would say. Uh, and I ended up playing there for three months. I uh, I tore my groin at some point, and they uh, they bought me out. So that's kind of why I didn't finish the year. They wanted to. I think the uh, January first is the day they can uh, the, the last day before they can sign imports. So I was like, I was going to be out for a while. So they released me and signed another goalie import. 
but I mean, typically, uh, I was in an environment where nobody would speak English. I was uh, in the middle of uh, Siberia. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a fun experience. I mean, fun in a different way, but mm. uh, a lot of a lot of different challenges. Obviously, language was one of them. I had the translator, but she was uh, she was obviously not in the locker room or on the road, so it was more like uh, she was helping me with uh, my apartment and stuff like that around the town. Uh, but uh, I remember having uh, had a had a driver too, who's uh, they're driving. Uh, they're driving way differently over there, and I, I'm glad I had a driver. <laughs> it could have been dangerous. I, the, the things I've seen at the, at red lights where people were mad at each other and fighting each other, and uh, <laughs> so I was I was happy I had a driver at the time. What were the what was the the you know translation for facilities like you know coaching and locker rooms and everything? Was it a step down from the NHL, or did they do a pretty good job of replicating it? I was a step down. I think uh, you were. As far as equipment and everything, you were on your own. I uh, probably the funniest uh, story about my time there. Um, I was a full right goalie, so I my stick was a righty, and there's not many goalies in the league like this. And uh, I remember packing probably four or five sticks and get, going there, thinking, okay, they're going to give me sticks, they're going to be gear and everything. And I I broke all my sticks, and they were uh, there were no righty sticks for uh, for goalie in uh, Siberia. Oh, wow. And and there's no way you can order uh, gear from uh, from North America because it, it's gonna get stuck at the borders and the, they ask for a lot of money. So it's not the Jeez. it's more uh, it's it's a little crooked. So um, the week after I was out of sticks, and the week after we were going to play, I think in uh, Slovakia or other countries out of the they're still in the KHL but are not there. And uh, that's where they ship the gear. So if you need gear, you pick it up there and you bring it with you back in Russia. So it's uh, the only way you can get your gear. So for a week, uh, I'd say for a week, I would practice with uh, stick the wrong side. And I think I had to play part of a game with a stick, uh, a lefty yeah. stick. Wow. Well, that sounds like a ton of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that you're an all right goalie. For those listening who may not know what that means, uh, it means that you are. Uh, you catch with your uh do i have this right catch with your left but use the or no i've got catch with my right yeah 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 sorry <laughs> i'm trying to imagine in my head um which is unusual for goalies one of the things i've always been curious about is when you're dealing with goalie coaches um you know scouting whatever it is because i imagine mo- the vast majority of goalies are not all right is there any hiccup in translating coaching messages or or you know lessons that ordinarily get taught to goalies who are oriented the opposite way not so much about teaching i think it's more for players uh they're they're not used to shoot on uh on a goalie that catches right so they, they would they would usually shoot on blocker on that side so mm-hmm. i think for players it's a little different maybe a little different too for a defenseman when the goalie plays a puck behind the net uh goalies have a tendency of going on their forehand a, l- a little bit more so for me going to my right was normal which is probably not as normal for the most of the goalies so it's uh it's probably the the only two things i see i i had an experience in uh, columbus when i played for the blue jackets there 
both of the goalies were uh, full right. So, it, I mean, if you usually have like probably out of 64 goalies in the league, if you have five or six that are full right, that's that's a lot. And that year, two of us, uh, Steve Mason and I, were full right. So uh, I remember at the end of the year, some players went to complain to the the GM saying that it was too hard for them to adjust. It was a reason why they couldn't score in the games because they were used to practice against uh, full right goalies. So that's uh, that was the end of me in Columbus after that. <laughs> they didn't that, respond. It, okay. <laughs> I have to unpack. <laughs> Sorry, I have to unpack that. Um, <laughs> is it... Do you think that there's anything to that? I mean, is it that big of a difference for players? And if so, how does that translate to advantages or disadvantages in a playing career for an all right goalie? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm the same too. Like, I'm not sure how much I can take out of it because uh, the year after the Columbus didn't score more goals, so it's. Uh, right. It was probably not the reason, yeah. but I. I think now I realize more because I'm training goalies now and some of them are full right. It's different to shoot a goalie full right. Uh, to the extent of making a difference when you get in the games, I don't know. But uh, I know I know all my career I've heard like players saying, oh, it's weird shooting on you because you're full right. So it, there's something to it for sure. Now, are you left-handed? H- how does a goalie wind up being full right? Uh, well, I'm a lefty. Yeah, I, I write. I do everything with my left hand. So for me, it's like natural. It's like playing baseball. I would throw with my left hand and catch with my right. So that's mm-hmm. why hockey I'm this way. Uh, but uh, yeah, there, there's not like I said, there's not many of us in the league, and uh, it's it's not not normal for players. Now I have one left-handed parent and one right-handed parent, and so every now and then I'll be doing something like tying my shoes which was just how I was taught by my left-handed parent. And someone will look at me and go, oh, you're doing that left-handedly or whatever. And huh. it doesn't, it never translated to me that way because I'm right-handed. But that's how, that's just how I learned how to tie my shoes. Is there anything like, <laughs> is there anything like that in goaltending where, where, you know, I, I, I can't even, I don't know the goaltending position well enough. I apologize. But, you know, where the, the way you, cover a post or you know move laterally or or handle the i mean obviously handling the puck will be different because you're on your opposite side but is it that are there i mean the the movements are itself are the same it's just the opposite uh Mm -hmm. when i said earlier like uh playing the puck yes that's a difference there and another difference is on your blocker you're more more likely to give up rebounds right so Mm -hmm. um rebounds are going the the opposite way. So if you were a goalie catching the normal side, your rebounds going to your right would be you give up more rebounds on this side than your blocker. So it's the opposite for for, for right. But other than that, I mean the movements and everything, it's it's all the same. So goalies are voodoo is a phrase that's been used a lot. Um, and the more that advanced analytics sort of develops, the more I think the gulf between understanding defensemen and forwards and understanding goalies grows as a former NHL goalie and as somebody who works you know in goalie instruction now do do you do you understand goalies are goalies voodoo for you as well or do you feel like the goalie fraternity has a better handle on the profession than the average um, hockey professional or fan I think we do have a better like we I think I think we get goalies more like Having the chance to play that position for so many years, like when I'm teaching a kid, 
I I kind of know what they are going through and what they're seeing when they're playing the game. Sometimes, like you'll have a. I'm not saying if you haven't played goalie, you can't teach goalies, but mm-hmm. it's a different. Sometimes we, uh, I talk to a coach that's never played the position, and they're like, "Wow, why did goalie didn't make the save there?" Well, you probably didn't realize, but he screened. There's a tip. There's something like. There's so much things that can happen. And as a former goalie, you can you can see like you can relate because you've been there before. Uh, it's it's hard to like sometimes like uh, during the play, uh, like seeing the puck or something. So for someone who's never played the position, it can look like oh that was a bad goal. But if you're a goalie, you can a former goalie, you can see now well that's the reason why I went in. How many of the goalie stats that we you know usually traffic and wins? Goals against, save percentage, shutouts. How many of those are actually team stats? Uh, team stats. I mean, shutouts. Uh, for me, like shutouts, like you, your goalie has to be good. You have to be lucky. There's always one or two posts during the game, and your team has to play good. So shutout. I think I think it's a team thing. Unless you'll have the that night where the goalie stands on his head and makes a ton of saves, or uh, shutout wins are probably team. Uh, save percentage is probably the the the, the thing that take make I think is the most important for a goalie. Uh, goal against average. I mean, if you play for the a team that doesn't give up shots, this is, you're likely to give up less shot less goals. So it's uh, for me, save percentage for a goalie is the most important. So I had a a young fan a couple of years ago. She was getting into the game. She was learning everything about it, and she asked me. Why don't she was very I don't even remember what year this was or which goalie it was in particular, but she was fond of the backup goalie on the team and was feeling bad that he wasn't playing a lot and asked me why they couldn't just split it 41 games each. And, you know, why can't they just play an equal amount of games? And I said, well, that's just not how it's done. Um, And, you know, she was arguing with me that that's silly, that it that just because that's not how it's been done in the past doesn't mean that how it couldn't be done in the future. And I found myself relying on this old phrase that I first heard about football, but I've heard it translated to hockey, which is if you have two goalies, you have none. Um, We're seeing goalies split time more and more um, frequently these days, but where do you come down on the notion that you need one clear-cut starting goalie on a team? I I think it depends on who you have. Like if you have, uh, I mean, I'll take Tampa because I'm here and I kind of see mm-hmm. it a lot. You have a Vasilevsky who's probably the best in the league who can take a ton of games, and he's his backup is a little older on the uh, like backside of his career, so that's kind of normal in a way. But sometimes you'll have a team where you have two. I, I'll take the Islanders just an example. Two good goalies that could be number one. Uh, but it's just just the way they play it. Like they play like the it's almost fifty fifty. Uh, to me, I think it's good to have a no- good number one. But you're uh, probably because I've been a backup most of my career, and it's it's I see more of the importance. Uh, what if your number one goalie gets hurt? Like you you still have to have a, a good backup plan. And it's it to me it's like buying it and don't buy insurance on your mansion. So if you if you own a, a very nice house and then uh, it catches on fire, if you don't have insurance, well you're so you're not in a really good spot. So 
insurance, meaning your backup goalie. I think I think backup goalies are really really important, especially with those. Uh, you can you can tell you can see like goalies used to play like what seventy games and now now sixties a lot and it's it's tough. They're, this league is tough. They travel a lot and uh, and there's not like they, there used to be easy nights. Not I wouldn't say easy nights, but teams that you play against are not as good. But now uh, every team is good and every team can win. So all those games are important. Then okay, then taking that answer, how much does um, psychology play a role in how you perform on the ice? How much does knowing what your role is, knowing what's expected of you, you know, if you are a backup and the team doesn't play you for thirty games and then you play four out of five, is that you know, how much do those challenges from on the mental side impact your performance? It's really hard. Like being a backup goalie is really hard because because even if you play great, uh, you're probably not going to play for another week or two. And if you play bad, it's probably the same thing. So you're stuck to thinking about that bad game for two weeks. So uh, I think the mental part of being a backup is really, uh, it just as, a, as much as a starter, but a starter, you have a bad game yesterday while you're playing tomorrow. So you, you can just forget about it quick. Uh, I think for a backup, you get you got to stay sharp because those two points every time you you play like you're usually going to play a team that maybe not a top team but the team expects you to win every night so uh, it's hard and it's it's hard to get into momentum too so when you're number one goalie you play two three games a week it's just easy like it's almost like finish one game little break up go back to the other game when you're not playing for a couple weeks well it's you start from scratch basically it's almost like when you go back for the next game your game starts and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so fast. Like it's almost like you try to get readjusted to that. We always hear that, you know, goaltenders are rooting for each other, but they're competing with each other. It seems like a really delicate relationship. There have been some tandems in the past um, that have clearly made it work and, and are quite friendly. But as you said, there are others like your time in Columbus where the team comes and says, we can't have two goalies that play the same way. But is it, is it, you know, open competition between goalies on a roster or is it m- more towards rooting for each other to succeed? Because you see, I think it's Boston where the two goalies hug each other in a big on-ice ceremony after every win. Um, but then I imagine there are other teams where the two goalies don't like each other. You're right. Yes. I mean, I was going to talk about the Boston tandem. I think it's mm-hmm. amazing what they're doing. I've never been part or seen anything like that. And I think it's... It's probably it probably feels good to be in that team for everybody. Like sometimes there's tensions. Uh, I've been through everything basically. I've been through teams that there's two young goalies, me part of it, and we both want to be number one. It's uh, it, it you can still have a good uh, a good like competition and everything's fine, but you still know that okay, like if I don't play good, I'm not playing the next game. So it's it's all about. Not that you hope your partner is not going to do good because you want your team to win, you want to be in the playoffs, but it's uh, it's it's sometimes it can get tricky. But as you get older, I feel like for myself, my role was like I knew I was there for to be a backup. I was there to help. Most likely, the younger guy, the 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 goalie would be younger than me, and be more of a mentor to him. So it's it's like there's a certain point where after this point, you kind of realize, okay, well. Yes, 
I need to be great every time I play, but I'm probably going to play less games. So therefore, I need to be the guy to relieve my number one goalie who needs a break that night or is going through a bad, bad stretch. So you played for three years in the LA Kings organization. Um, 2004-2005, the NHL season is lost to the lockout. You spend it playing for the Manchester Monarchs. Played 52 games, and this question is sort of like the one about the KHL. Was Manchester as crazy as we've heard that it was? It was. It was really too, like probably the best uh, city to play in the AHL as far as like the building was the big building packed. Uh, I remember that year was probably the best year to play in the AHL because most of the borderline players, NHL players, were playing the AHL. It was probably. The, the best, like the, the teams were at their best that year. Uh, we had a bunch of good players like uh, Dustin Brown, Camilleri, Costopoulos, Tim Gleason, a b- bunch of us that were normally going to play for the Kings. But since it was a lockout, we were sent there. And uh, it was great. We had such a good team. Uh, we played good. Uh, it was it was kind of good for me to get to know those guys because it was, it was all was new in that organization so it was great city great town uh, obviously we didn't do good in the playoffs but throughout the year we like I, I, I can't remember our record but we did really good now you were drafted by montreal you're from quebec you get traded to the kings but you have that one transition year in manchester with all of those guys that would wind up becoming your teammates when you reached la what were your initial impressions of LA as a hockey market coming from Quebec, and and how did it live up to those expectations once you got here? It was, uh, I mean, I, I knew it was going to be different. Uh, it, probably more laid back in Montreal, like you could, you can barely go out to a grocery store anywhere, but like everybody would recognize you and talk hockey with you. LA was uh, a lot smoother. It was good. Uh, I, I really liked the organization. They were great with me, great with the players. And it was, uh, I kind of wish I would have been there like five, six years later when the team was better. I, I don't think we were at our best uh, when I was there. Uh, but uh, but it was a great experience for me. Uh, I really liked uh, living in LA. It was a fun time for sure. You also uh, were there for the changeover between the Dave Taylor um regime and the Dean Lombardi regime was there anything noticeable I mean it was just that first year I think that you were there for the Lombardi era was there anything obviously different about the franchise between the two different versions yeah you can tell there was going to be a difference uh Dean was obviously more intense I remember like having meeting uh right at the end of my first year and then before my second year with them and it was more intense and then, uh, obviously, with Crawford as a head coach, it was uh, totally different from Andy Murray the year before. Uh, so, no, I, I, I saw a very big difference that summer. And I, I knew the team, like, uh, not that with the other people before, it, was, it wasn't bad, but it was totally different. I think they had the different mentality. Now you won the Stanley Cup playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins during the 2008-09 season, but you were only there at the very end. Was there anything about that team? Because I think as fans, we look at teams that win and we assume, oh, well, that was planned or there was something, you know, there was something very specific and very special about those teams that win. Was there something sufficiently different about that Pittsburgh team or was it just as simple as, uh, you know, all the right players at the right time? 
I, I think it was uh, probably all the right players. But when I got there, I got traded in January. Uh, we were 10th in our conference. We were not in the playoffs. Uh, and then things were not going well at all. I remember a couple of weeks after I got traded there, they changed coach and Dan Bilesma got there and it uh, completely changed everything. I felt, I feel like, and then they made a few trades. They, they went to, to get uh, Kunitz and Bill Guerin and a couple more guys. So it was, uh, obviously, I think the mix bringing those two guys uh, made a big difference. Uh, Billy Guerin made a, I think, I think he kind of relieved a little bit of pressure off of uh, Sidney Crosby's shoulder. Sid was still young at the time, the captain, and I think having Bill in the the locker room, like a more experienced guy, a very vocal guy, uh, brought brought a lot. And and I and I know Sidney was uh, it uh, helped him through his career after that, like having a role model like uh, Billy Guerin around him. And then when playoffs started, it could have I mean it could have gone either way. Like I, we were not. Uh, at all favorite to to win the cup like we started remember with philly we were down a couple games and then we uh we played washington went to game seven carolina was a little easier we won in four but then detroit we knew it was going to be the tough one because uh the the year before they beat pittsburgh and then that during that uh, playoffs uh run uh detroit never lost a home game so we uh we had to go beat them game seven in their own barn. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was not really expected, but it was a very good surprise. So that year, Bilesma is named uh, head coach halfway through the season. A couple of years later, Daryl Sutter takes over as head coach of the LA Kings halfway through the season. Both teams win the Stanley Cup. And I feel like it's sort of set up, even though it's, to the best of my knowledge, twice in recent memory that it's happened where a coaching change midway through the season led to a Stanley cup. It seems like now that's sort of a, an easy thing to say for fans on social media. Like, well, you know, look at these teams, they changed their coach. They won the Stanley cup. Is it easy to change a coach mid season? I mean, what's the impact on a team there? No, it's not. Uh, I mean, I think it can go either way. Uh, I feel like sometimes when you bring a new coach, you get a little burst for a little while. Uh, the only thing is you you kind of hope this is going to last for more than two weeks, two months. It's going to be a, a long lasting uh, thing. And in those two cases, I think I think it was just the right move. It just happened to work, and uh, it brought a little bit more like a uh, a, uh, a second, like a, a, a little bit more like a guys were a little bit more excited maybe to go to the rink. Sometimes you have a new coach that brings more excitement. Now, when you were playing uh, for the LA Kings, now I don't think I told you this part, but I was a season ticket holder and a fan for decades before I wound up in the position I'm currently in. Now, I recall the LA Kings acquiring um, Dan Cluche in the offseason of 2006, and a lot of the rhetoric around it was, well, we need somebody to quote-unquote stabilize the net, or I think that was the phrase. Um that's after you put in a pretty decent season for the LA Kings in 2005, 2006. What does a move like that do for the goalies that are already in an organization? You know, is that how much attention do players pay to what is said in the press by the team executives? If it's even if it's not about them specifically, if it's about the same position you play, if the, 
coach or general manager comes out and says in the offseason, well, we needed to get better at this. And it's that that this is the thing that you do. How difficult is it to show up in camp that fall without feeling, you know, like it's sort of personally directed at you? Uh, I mean, it's hard, but I, I couldn't blame them at the time. Like my first year, I, I think I, I started really good till Christmas and then I kind of kind of hit the wall a little bit. But the, I, if I'm being honest, I wish they would have done that move the first year I was there because uh, nothing against Jason and Barbara, but both of us, I think we had a total of 45 games played in the league. Mm-hmm. And we were both like rookies. We never, like I had the full year in Montreal before, the year before, and then the few more half seasons before that. But it was, uh, I was basically, it was basically something like I was brand new. And I kind of wish I had like an older backup with me too. That, like I said before, I stabilize. Like, okay, you're, you're going through a tough week or something. Let the older goalie play two, three games, and then you, you're going to come back and be fresh. And nothing against Jason because Jason did a really good job that year too. But I think knowing that we were both young, I was not surprised that they, they wanted like to bring a, a more experienced goalie the year after. And and having Mark Crawford coming, I knew I knew. Dan Clucci would be his guy because it was his guy in, uh, in Vancouver. Okay. Well, listen, Matthew, I'm sure you've got plenty of stuff to get to today. I could talk to you for hours about this, but I don't want to eat up your entire day. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, if it's all right with you, we'd love to check in with you later in the year. Yes, you're welcome. Anytime. It was a lot of fun for me. All right. Thanks very much. And enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Have right, a good day. That was Matthew Garon. Before we get to my conversation with Jared Shaffron about the Ontario rain, I'm here once again to remind you that I'm trying to pull off a holiday miracle here. I am in possession of an LA Kings jersey, purple jersey from the 1999 to 2002 era. I've given out some details of this jersey. I'm going to give it a few more here, but I can't give them all out because that's how we're going to make sure that the owner uh, who comes forward is the actual rightful owner of this jersey. I traded for this jersey in 2002 I traded for this jersey so if you know someone out there who traded away this jersey 20 years ago I want to give it back to them help me out Kings fans Joining me now, Ontario Rain Insider, Jared Shaffron. Take two. How are you doing today, Shaff? I'm doing great, Jesse. I'm not going to get into the fact that I don't like that title because we just did that, but we weren't recording. So I'll just say, how is Ontario season going from your perspective? I think it's going okay. I think that, you know, there's some parallels to the Kings season in that the expectations are extremely high for the Ontario Rain, probably even higher in their league than what the Kings have in the NHL. So when you're not in first place and dominating, maybe it seems like there's always room for improvement. But I think overall, there's been some really good things. And I think if you look at it from a Kings perspective, every player, in my opinion, that has gotten a chance to play via call-up has been ready. Uh, Rasmus Gupari was the first player. I thought he did admirably filling in on the third line with Kevin Fiala when when he had an opportunity. Samuel Fagimo has played in three games. He's had points in two of them. And Cal Peter, I mean, uh, whoops, Phoenix (laughs) Phoenix Copley. Copley, (laughs) uh, It will be hopefully Cal Peterson soon, Mm -hmm. but Phoenix Copley uh, is, is gotten an opportunity to play in three games. And, you know, he's looked pretty good too. Uh, Two wins in his first two starts. And, you know, I think that's, there's two things, right? You want to develop the young guys, but when, Players get called up, and I think Marco Sturm's talked about this a lot this year. You want to make sure they're ready and that they're ready for that moment. And I think so far this season, the guys who have gotten a chance to step in, they've they've been ready. 
So I don't disagree with you about the expectations. The difference lies, I think, in the results because while the Kings are arguably not even a 500 team, if you want to apply overtime losses to regulation losses, I don't particularly subscribe to that, but plenty of people do. The Ontario Reign are 14-7-0-1. They're just a handful of points out of first place in their division. They're incredibly efficient defensively. I mean, I think they have the lowest goals against in their conference, if not the entire league. No, I guess Hartford is allowing fewer goals. Um, I think just sort of shockingly, their offense is not as potent as it was, certainly not as it was last year, and maybe not as much as people expected it to be this year. Yeah, well, it's funny, Jesse. That's probably exactly what I would take away from the first part of the season here is that you have a lot of the same players. The roster has a lot of returners that were playing the same system. Uh, It's not that they've changed anything. The biggest difference is clearly that Martin Furk is not on the roster. He scored 40 goals last year. He was able to, in some on some nights, he and TJ Tynan were able to get the rain out of a bad game and put a win on the scoreboard. I mean, like, there were many nights where the rain were trailing in the third period, most of them at home. They hadn't really played that well of a game as a team overall. And Furk and Tynan got a couple power plays in the third period. They worked hard. They, they generated some offense. They scored a couple goals and the team was able to win. And I don't know that that's how you really want to be playing. So the coaching staff was a little frustrated, but they had wins. Uh, And you look at the the offense last year, Ontario scored almost four goals a game. That was the number one offense in the AHL. But on defense, they allowed 3.2. That was 25th out of 31 teams in the AHL. This year so far, it's the exact opposite. The rain are only allowing 2.5 goals which is third in the league, and you said you know, behind a, a team like Hershey who's in first place. Colorado's the, the number one defensive team. So oh, did they're, I miss? they're a little bit uh, ahead of the rain defensively, but I think they've been outstanding. And the rain have – yeah, go ahead. Come on in. It's my fault for not having the light on. It's my fault for not having the light on. No, I know, I know. It's my fault. A little bit of an edit there, everybody. Sorry, we had uh, a visit from uh, the higher upside, not turned on the recording light in our new studio. So uh, anyway, jumping back into our conversation, um, you're talking about defense. Yeah. And how and, effective and the team has been. I was talking about how great they've been on defense, which is third in the AHL. But on the offensive side, uh, where the team should be, in theory, lighting it up, they've been okay. Um, they're at 3.09 goals. So that's about a goal per game less than they were a year ago, and that ranks 17th in the AHL. So when you look at it from just, okay, well, how is this impacting their win-loss record? It A few more losses. Because how many goals did Martin Ferg score last year? 40. And it were 20 games into the season. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah, maybe not a, a goal full goal a game, game, but that's no, like it, half a goal a game yeah. missing from Martin Ferg's stick. But on the other side of things, yeah. I don't think anyone could have expected, and this, again, this is a rain conversation. I don't think anyone would have expected that Quentin Byfield would be playing for the rain at this point. True. Quentin Byfield is leading the team in in goal scoring. He has nine this year. So you are at least, I mean, potentially he is maybe covering up up some of the even deeper uh, offensive issues for this team because we're all assuming he's going to get called back up. He's obviously an LA King. So when Quentin Byfield goes back up, that scoring that he had, is still not that Martin Firk scoring, which is being covered up a little bit by Byfield is still not being replaced. So I think there's definitely a need for some of the forwards to score more. Um, and you know, there's a couple guys out of the lineup, Akil Thomas 
is out long term right now, and that hurts because he had scored five goals in his first 13 games. So you're going to miss a little bit of that production. But there's a few other guys that are on this team that that do need to put the puck in the net a little more frequently. I was just going to ask the question about Quentin Byfield because after Byfield, the scoring appears to be pretty spread out. Anderson, Leish Anderson with six goals, Fagamo with six goals, he's on the Kings roster. Dudas with six goals, Madden with five, Kupari with five, he's on the Kings roster. Taylor Ward with five, Akil Thomas, he's hurt. But that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys basically leading the team together. And then you have Quentin Byfield, who is 14 points in 13 games and looks phenomenal at the AHL level. Yeah, and and so you're going to need some of those guys like Leish Anderson, uh, you're going to need some more goals out of Tyler Madden. You're probably going to get some more goals out of both of those guys. I would think you're going to get some more goals out of Taylor Ward, who is having a really solid rookie season. Um, I think he is getting to be a little bit more consistent and learning that he needs to go to the front of the net more. Uh, he is a big physical player, and he's had success when he's gone to the front of the net. So, again, he's a rookie. He's he's never played pro hockey before. So I don't think he's going to come in and single-handedly replace Martin Furk, but could you get a couple more goals out of him? Sure. Uh, and then there's a couple other guys who probably just whether it's through playing time or just getting familiar with things that we haven't seen score really much yet. Martin Kromiak, you know, he's only played in seven games. He's had a, a little bit of an injury plague start to his pro career. Again, if you told me that at this point here in December, Martin Kromiak hadn't scored a goal yet for the rain, we would have been like, wow, he's such a he has such a dynamic, great offensive shot. So I do think that it's possible for him to all of a sudden have it click pretty soon, but he's not getting a ton of minutes. He was, he did play a top six role in one of the games last week. So it's, he's starting to come around, but he's learning that consistency that you need to have at the pro level. Alex Turcott, also another player who right now, one goal, uh, five points overall, but you know, you can't expect him to come in and light it up right away after being out for so long, but he's someone who clearly has the talent to start providing more offense. And when he gets more comfortable, when he gets, his legs and everything back to where he needs to be. There's no doubt he's going to he's going to put the puck in the net. Yeah, Alex Turcotte's one of those players obviously that Kings fans are particularly interested in. And if you you mentioned one goal, four assists, five points in 11 games, but a plus 4, you know, and and I confess I haven't been to as many rain games as I would like this season, but every time I see him whether in practice or in the locker room, his spirits seem good, he seems to be doing fine and I listen, I maybe I'm paying too much attention to the plus minus, but plus four is solid. Meanwhile, a guy like Samuel Hellenius has not struggled to get in games, 21 games for the rookie, um, not expected to be a points producer necessarily, but how is his game coming along? Well, I've seen some really good strides, especially the last two weeks or so. I think there's been, you know, there's been some games where he's been a little out of his element, especially earlier on in the season, but I really think that he stabilized himself as the center of the fourth line, with Andre Lee and Nate Thompson, that has been a really good combination, both offensively and defensively. When you look at they're they're really preventing some goals against. They're they're stepping up and playing some minutes against other teams' big you know best players. And I think for Hellenius playing with a guy like Nate Thompson, who we haven't really talked about yet, but his role on this team is that leadership, older, and and he's been a center in the NHL. So he's going through with Samuel Hellenius what he needs to do. Samuel Hellenius is getting coaching from the coaching staff, but he's getting coaching from his line mate in Nate Thompson. Um, the One of the biggest things that he needs to work on is his face-offs. I think you know, if you're going to be that defensively focused 
centerman in the NHL, you got to put up Andre Kopitar type faceoff numbers or at least somewhere close to that. I think that's something that's a, a pretty big work in progress for Hellenius, but his skating, his awareness, and just his overall physicality has been much better. And I, I think it's we've seen a rise in, in his play, especially, like I said, the physicality. In the last couple of weeks, he's had a couple of fights. Uh, he's he's really just he's sticking up for teammates. He's realizing that you know he needs to be one of the more physical players on this team, and I think we're seeing that out of him. We heard from Cameron Gaunt, who uh, assessed the play of Hellenius as well as uh, Nuzianen and uh, Blank and Grons at the last World Juniors, and he talked about Hellenius's defensive um, acumen, lack of a better word. He said, just like every time he's on the ice, he's going in the right position defensively. You know, and he said, the more you can do that, the more your teammates are going to trust you, the more the coaches are going to trust you, the more minutes you're going to get, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe he does need to work on uh, on the offensive side a little bit more. What does – I mean, we talked about Akil Thomas being hurt. Like, what does that – I mean, how does that affect a room, an organization? Because not that he was necessarily part of an ironclad plan of like, well, we're going to get X amount of production from Akil Thomas. But, I mean, he started out great. He's a guy that every coach that has ever coached him has had unbelievable things to say about him. You know, glue guy, production guy, toughness, teammate, all those things. Like yeah, he's wearing a letter at, at the yeah, time. You know, to have him just sort of gone, um, that must be an incredible challenge for for the coaching staff. It is, especially when you look at the center depth. Uh, you know, I know that everybody talks about this team has so many guys that can play center, um, but again, right now Quentin Byfield is filling that hole. But when you when you project long term, you're not expecting Quentin Byfield to be on this team down the stretch. So you have a, a little bit of a of a depth at your center issue. I mean, you've got TJ Tynan is, is obviously there. He is going to be a center every single night for this team. And without Akil Thomas, you know, right now, Rasmus Kapari is playing center. He might not, he had, he had been, the rain haven't played a game since right. Rasmus called up. So, you know, we'll see what happens this week when they're in Bakersfield, but he had been playing center. So now he's called up. So you have, you know, I think the opportunity where you can either shift, Nate Thompson or Alex Turcott back to center right now. Both of them have been have been on the wing. Turcott has been playing really, really well with Byfield uh, on the top line. Uh, so they may, you know, want to keep those guys together while Byfield is still with the rain. But what Akil Thomas does, you know, really, again, he was the third line center. Uh, and so now you're you're mixing and matching. You're trying to fill in. It gives the other guys opportunity. But he was a great bumper guy in the power play. He scored a lot of his goals that way. And he was playing third line center, and he was playing in all situations: penalty kill, power play. It's just a lot of minutes that you have to replace, uh, you know. And someone who was getting better every single game. We definitely saw some really good progression in a limited time last year. Once he got back up to speed, we saw some progression. And then, you know, again, thirteen games this year. But I thought Akil was was playing the best hockey that I'd seen him play. So another area in which the rain are sort of the mirror case of the kings um the power play for the rain was record setting last year it is 21 percent this year which is perfectly fine but it's not eyebrow raising uh, meanwhile their penalty kill 84.7 whereas last year as i recall it was not as good absolutely um, no it wasn't it wasn't very good it was the actually the achilles heel of the team last mm -hmm. year i mean we talked about defense in general but the, the power play we talked about, record setting, the penalty kill, 76%. Right. It wasn't good. And there has been some changes, I would say, this year as far as 
you know, some of the guys who are getting minutes on the on the penalty kill weren't getting as many minutes last year, and there there is a little bit of a difference in the personnel. But yeah, you mentioned it, eighty four point seven percent. That's sixth in in the league. Um, that's been one of the hallmarks of this team. And again, guys like Nate Thompson who weren't here, he's playing penalty kill time. Sammy Holanius last year came over. He only played about ten games at the end of the season. Wasn't getting a ton of penalty killing time. Austin Wagner. I think is a great penalty killer. Uh, he hasn't played a ton of games this year, but he was playing this past weekend. He steps in. So there are some good some good play up front, but also, you know, Jacob Muverari wasn't with this team down the stretch last year. He's logging a ton of penalty kill minutes. Jordan Spence wasn't with the team down the stretch last year. And when he was with the team at the beginning of the season, he wasn't counted on as heavily on the penalty kill. It was kind of, hey, we're easing him in. We're not using him as this year. I mean, we could do a whole segment of this podcast on the difference that Jordan Spence has made to this team this year because, again, he was good last year. He was part of the power play. He was, you know, a very good five-on-five middle pairing, maybe even at sometimes third pairing defenseman. This year he is the number one guy. He has been the guy that is leaned on extremely heavily in every situation, whether it's a three-on-three in overtime or a five-on-three against where you have to kill off a a two-man disadvantage. Spence is one of your three guys out there. He is out there in every situation, and it's rounded out his game so much. It, it, last year, he was a young player who had a lot of promise, and because of all the injuries the Kings had, we got to see that promise at the NHL level earlier than anyone expected. This year, he is getting 25-plus minutes. Uh, he is playing the Drew Doughty-type role for the Ontario Reign, and it's making him, in my opinion, so much more well-rounded, so... Sorry, go off on a Jordan Spence love fest. But I think that that is when you look at the defense, the penalty killing, the way that this team is a little bit more balanced. Last year they were so offense heavy. It's because Spence does everything for the team. You never have to apologize for praising Jordan Spence. Um, (laughs) I frequently say to people, if you want, you know, if you have the time and you have the opportunity, go out to Ontario because there's not a bad seat in the house and you get to see some of these kids. Jordan Spence, for my money, is as close to a player who's worth the price of admission that this roster has. And 22 games, 21 points, plays all situations. And and you can, like, I have jokingly said in the past, I'm not even sure how joking I was when I said it. I sort of say it, I was joking now to cover my tracks. But I've jokingly said in the past that he'll be a future Norris candidate. I don't know if he'll be that good. But he's just that guy, right, who every level of competition he goes to, he crushes the adjustment period it's way shorter than you'd think it would be and then he's like the defenseman of the year in that level whether it's juniors now the ahl you know whatever's before juniors like the kid just absorbs information and incorporates it into his game but the real reason i brought up the the penalty kill and and i'm glad you brought up the defense is because so much more stability health-wise this year because of the health on the king's blue line not only Muverari, spence uh, Granz, Gauntz, um, New Zealand, and Allard. Like, they actually have a healthy complement of blue liners to choose from night in and night out. Yeah. And, you know, there hasn't been the need to bring anyone from Knockwood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been. It hasn't been the need to bring anyone from the Greenville Swamp Rabbits up, which yeah. last year there was, you know, a considerable amount of movement from different ECHL teams. The Kings and Rain didn't have an official affiliate, they did have some players in in Greenville and elsewhere last year. So 
that was more of a necessity because it seemed like, you know, whether it was the health of guys both in the NHL or the AHL level, there was more injuries. Again, knock on wood, things have been so far so good. Um, but, you know, a guy like Toby Bisson has has really added to the stability. Um, he has seven points and a plus six rating in his first 21 games with the rain. So having a guy like him paired up with Frederick Allard, that's been a really formidable third pair, pairing at Frederick Allard. Last year played second pairing minutes down the stretch for the rain and, you know, a team that was very competitive. So to have him on the third pair, obviously Bjornfoot is up with the Kings right now, but he's played 17 games. He's been a big part of the defense as well for Ontario. There's been some nights where him and Spencer, they're out there every other shift and they're logging a ton of minutes and that's stabilized. But, and we mentioned Jacob Movarari. Um, they, we even had five games of Brant Clark. So the defense has been much more, uh, I would say, stable as far as everybody. And, and Cameron Gauntz is the epitome of that. Uh, he can play on both sides with whoever. I think the when Cameron Gauntz has been paired with Helge Granz, those have been the best games that we've seen from Granz this year because Cameron is so dependable. I think Helge can relax, play his game, and not have to worry about a lot of different small things because Gauntz takes care of that. And he can kind of, you know, work his way in, into being a little more comfortable when he's been paired with with Gauntz. And he was last weekend in Tucson, and I thought that was probably the best game that that Helgi Gauntz played this season. So that's been a, a nice little boost to see him start to get a little more comfortable because I think he had a little bit of a slow start to the year. But seeing everybody else defensively to provide that stability and also just the expectation, hey, we are a good defensive team. It's not what it was last year. This is a different team. And I think that's helped Helgi as well. And when Cameron's not on the ice, he can uh, be color commentator while he's <laughs> while he's sitting on the bench. So we talked about forwards. We talked about defense. We got to talk about goaltending. Um, Matt Valalta, I am just endlessly fond of. I've said before, I'm no longer capable of being even remotely objective about that kid because I just am so fond of him. Uh, but, of course, the big story is that Phoenix Copley presently with the L.A. Kings. Cal Peterson with the Ontario Reign. Cal Peterson not played a ton of games yet. But how has he looked in his time in Ontario? Looks like he should. Uh, he looks like a goalie who's graduated out of the AHL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, four games, he's allowing two goals per game, eight goals in four games. His most recent game was not his best statistically, but his most busy in the fact that he saw 47 shots. Mm-hmm. Um, Tucson was, I will say, in my opinion, the, the shot clock in the second period was maybe a, they were a little trigger happy on it. There was I looked over and at one point there was like nine shots already in the second period. I was like, I don't remember Cal making nine saves, but hey, it's his uh, it's his fortune in that in that in that circumstance. But yeah, his save percentage about nine forty. Anyone would take that at any level. Uh, and again, it's not like he hasn't seen shots. I just mentioned he yeah. saw forty four of them in his last start. So um, I think it's been good for him. I think that. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how long this this goes. Yeah, it's good, easy to have a good attitude for a couple of weeks, um, but the longer it goes, you know, I, I think if Cal keeps continuing to play where he's at a nine forty save percentage, I don't think he should be with the Rain for that much longer. I, I think he has to prove it at the NHL level again. But so far with the Rain, he's done everything and more that could have ever been asked of him. There have been a few games already out of those four that maybe might have not been wins if he didn't play the way he did. Uh, he's been first star a couple nights, and you know he's 3-1. and one. He's got a save percentage of 939, and he's faced uh, 124. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, 
he's made 124 saves on uh, on 132 shots against. He's a player who's on record as saying he prefers shot more shots. He likes to have more work. So it looks like it. Yeah. So in a game like that where there's more than 40 shots against, I'm almost happy to have the team in front of him. You know, allow that. You know, ordinarily you don't want your team allowing 40 shots on goal, but in this case, it seems to be helping him. Question mark. I I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard to say that because yeah. I think to be really honest about it, like the level of shot that you're seeing at sure. the AHL level is just not an NHL play. You're not going up against NHL shots. You're not, go- not going up against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, just one example, but they're an in-division team, and obviously there's nobody like that at the American League level. So I think it's good for his confidence. I think it's good you know, to get a little boost. But at, like I said, at some point, you know, after a few more games, I'm not sure how many more games that he would need to to get that confidence back. He's got it. Well, know? that is the that's the big question, and it's the one answer that we're not getting, and it doesn't apply exclusively to Cal Peterson because it now it also explain ex- extends to Brant Clark and Quentin Byfield, which is how long <laughs> how long is long enough before you insert them back into the King? Yes, of but also I don't want to compare. Cal Peterson to Quentin Byfield and Brant Clark, who are 20 and 20 and 19, respectively. All of their situations are different. Yes. I grant you. It's <laughs> just, I'm just saying Kings fans are curious about the the immediate future plans for all three of those players. I just think it's odd that they all play one, one in each position. So it's just sort of a thing. Anyway, um, upcoming games against, uh, what did you say, Bakersfield, a home and home against Bakersfield mm-hmm. Friday and Saturday, then a road trip against Calgary and then off until after Christmas. So four quick games and then a long break. What are we expecting out of the rain heading into Christmas? Well, the this weekend with Bakersfield is going to be really interesting because the Condors, from a standings perspective, are not a formidable opponent. They are 9-13-1. They are in eighth place out of 10 in the Pacific Division. But they've split with the rain in four games already this mm-hmm. year, and they've arguably been the most frustrating team that the rain have played against. They have basically tried to muck it up, grind it out and take away as much skill from Ontario's skilled players as possible. And it's worked two out of four times. So I think those are the most frustrating. Like, look, this team clearly has a lot of talent when they are going to play against a team. That's like Tucson, Tucson's physical, but they want to run and gun. They're, they throw some hits. They're physical. They're a physical team. Same thing with San Diego. There's some physicality, but those teams are run and gun. Those games are up and down the ice. Same thing with Henderson. I mean, those are the games that the rain can play in. But when you get a team that's trying to slow it down, they're trying, and not to say that Bakersfield doesn't have talent. I mean, they have a couple excellent young players from the Edmonton Oilers organization there, but they're playing the style of game that's designed to slow down Ontario, and they've been successful. So – I think that's a little bit of a challenge, especially in a home and home when you play them two games in a row. Can you continue to to keep the level that we've seen this team in December? I think the rain are like four and one in December to start the month. Um, so outside of the one loss to Henderson, it's been a really solid start to the month for Ontario. Can they keep that consistency? Can they pull off a sweep against Bakersfield, a team that's lower than them in the standings? But that is frustrating, and they are not easy to play against. And they've had some wins against some good teams. So that'll be good. And then the first opportunity to see Calgary, which is a very confusing team for me because they were the Stockton Heat last year. A lot of the players returned, 
But there's a lot of changes in the roster as well. And last year, they were hot out of the gate, and they were basically first place wire-to-wire with Stockton. Uh, they were the best team in the Pacific all season long. They earned their uh, their division crown at the end of the year. Calgary was very slow out of the gate. They were not very good for the first six or seven games. And now they've been outstanding. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They're ahead of the reign in the standings, which, again, isn't surprising because they have the same coach that they had in Stockton in Mitch Love. They have a lot of the same players, so they should have the same structure, but they started slow, so everyone kind of wrote them off in the beginning, and now they're in second place, and those are two road games and back-to-back that are going to test this Ontario team. So it's going to be some interesting hockey going into break. Um, and then, you know, don't I just want to mention right after break, the first game after break for Ontario is on the 28th of December, and it's the first meeting with the new Coachella Valley, Valley Firebirds team who is going to be, in my opinion, become the biggest rival to the rain. I know that everyone thinks San Diego is the rival. Coachella Valley, I think, is going to be. They're even closer in distance to Ontario, and they have a, such a good team. I mean, they winning percentage-wise, they are the top team in the Pacific. They have only played 20 games because they haven't played a home game yet. So down the stretch, they're basically just going to be camping out at home, um, kind of like the Islanders were when they opened up their new building in the NHL last year. And 12-5-3, and three, they have Andrew Pawlowski, who is alongside TJ Tynan, is the best two players in the AHL, and it's going to be super fun. So uh, th- that's going to be a great series. There's still eight games that have to be played between those two teams, and the first one's going to be on December 28th in Coachella Valley. I think it's going to be the third game ever at that brand new building, which is opening up uh, in just about four days. So that is super exciting for me. I can't wait to, to go there with Josh and call those games and, and see the level of talent. Also, Dan Bilesma is the head coach of that team, if you if you weren't aware. So there's definitely going to be a great rivalry there. They've had a great start to the season, and um, it's great for hockey in Southern California to have another team that's playing like that, that has that talent, that has that building. Um, that's going to be super cool. And if you have the time off, Kings fans, and you need an excuse to drive out to Coachella Valley, why not, right? Um, if you can get a ticket. Yeah, tickets are, well, Tickets right. are tough to come by. I hadn't by. thought about it's that, new, but new sure. season, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have to – um, you have to definitely get on that a little bit quicker than later. Yeah, Shaf, we're going to wrap up. But before we do, I want to leave Kings fans with one little happy note that I was not aware of, but I looked it up as you mentioned them twice. Um, the San Diego Gulls presently uh, in 32nd place in the AHL, uh, same as their NHL uh, counterparts, the Anaheim Ducks, who are also in 32nd place. So everybody tweet John Hoven and tell him that the predictions he had about the Kings and the Ducks being on a collision course at the top of the Pacific Division in the next two or three years might need a, a rain check. No still, pun intended. Still a lot of games left between the rain and the sure. goals. Things can change if they go in a different direction, especially if they if Anaheim decides to sell it all. But, yes, they have lost eight in a row. So there you go. 32nd place in the NHL, 32nd place in the AHL. Uh, I love that for us. Jared Jaffron, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse.